0: back to the podcast guys Uh, don't mind me I am at home it's raining outside but it's been a good day it's been a really good day I hope you all are doing well and you know as always things can be tough right now Mm -hmm. things can be challenging and if that's the case for you I'm sending love I'm sending light, I'm sending positive energy your way. And I hope things turn around for the better. And I hope whatever lesson there is to learn in the current situation you're in, that you learn it quickly. I say that because as I was talking, I remember, I used to watch Oprah with my mom growing up. And um, she would often say on her show, and even after she ended the show, that, if something was going on in her life, she would usually say to herself, okay, what am I supposed to learn from this? This is happening and I haven't learned a particular lesson. And I probably won't see the other side until I learn that lesson. So if you're going to a ch- through a challenging situation right now, I hope you get your lesson so that you can move forward. That's ultimately what I'm trying to say. As far as personal updates go... I'm ending the week on a high note. I shared on the podcast episode before the last one, before the April 15th episode, that my partner and I are going to be moving to the Midwest. So, just got word today that we got the living space that we wanted. So, that was great news and it is becoming realer it is feeling like okay this is happening like we have a home there now and we have an address you know and I've been on google maps looking around the neighborhood and it's very well it's a it's a beautiful street I love the street um, it's actually like a dead-end street which doesn't sound so appealing, but but it's like such cute houses and our home is closer to the end. So it feels, you know, kind of private and tucked away. So I'm just really excited to get on the other side and start our new chapter, essentially. I'm also feeling pretty good because I just got off of Zoom with a few friends two friends and I who started like a creativity group a few months ago so we have been checking in in person today it was on zoom but we've been checking in in person before today um, and just talking about how to better involve creativity in our lives and you know how creativity impacted us as kids and if our creativity was nurtured and how it's kind of presenting itself in our lives now and you know what we could do to include it in our day-to-day to maximize anything and everything you know that will nurture and just make us feel good from a creativity standpoint so we talked today about poetry we shared some moving words We discussed the term writer and our relationship to that word. And um, it has been such a fulfilling and enriching experience and such a safe space. And I feel like with every time that we come together, it just gets better and better. Today was the first time that we did it over Zoom Because we haven't been able to meet in person, but we did not want too much time to pass. So we got together and it was like we were in the same room. The energy was still there. We were still feeding off each other and just, you know, it just felt really good. And I'm looking forward to, you know, what comes of it in the future. So... If my creativity group partners are listening, I love you guys. Thank you for your support with the podcast and being my accountability partners. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you guys. So that is pretty much it as far as personal updates go. This episode is going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge. Um There are things that I want to share. You can see from the title, there are like two or three things (laughs) that I'm going to be focusing on. The first one being the book, not the whole book, a page of the book, How We Heal by Alexandra L., who is more popularly known as Alex L. on social media. So she has been a writer for a very long time. But How We Heal, I believe, is her first New York Times bestseller. One of my creativity partners, creativity group partners, invited me to go with her last year to one of Alex L's tour stops. She had an extra ticket and she invited me and it was such an amazing experience just being in that audience and Even though there were so many people in that um, auditorium in Manhattan, it felt so intimate and so communal. And Alex and the moderator did such a great job of just making everyone feel like heard and comfortable and just making it worth our while, you know. So with the ticket came the book, complimentary, so that was amazing too thank you so much vera again i started the book and then stopped for a while and i've been drawn to the book again so i started reading it again and there is this affirmation it's more of a meditation she labels it a meditation in the book but i think of it more of as an affirmation on page 41 i read this meditation and i read it again after the first time and I recorded it because I always wanted to have it at the ready in my phone if ever I needed to listen to it so it's on page 41 it's called I am making space and she gives like a couple of paragraphs just talking about what it means from her perspective of you know how to make space and what it can do for you so Ultimately, the meditation itself is as follows. In the presence of fear, I will make space for courage. In the presence of self-doubt, I will make space for self-belief. In the presence of hurry, I will make space for slowing down. In the presence of overwhelm, I will make space for rest. In the presence of overthinking, I will make space for letting go. In the presence of chaos, I will make space for inner peace. In the presence of confusion, I will make space for clarity. And in the presence of pain, I will make space for self compassion. So I read this meditation slash slash affirmation because that's how I relate to it more so and I paused and I loved how I felt in my body in those moments after reading it the first time and just how calming those words were to me so I read it again and then I recorded it so that I have it on my phone whenever And I labeled the recording on my phone. I usually, I do a lot of voice notes. I have talked about them on the podcast before. Like if I don't have time to write in my journal, but I really need to get my emotions or feelings out and process what's going on in my mind, I will do a voice note, but I never label them. Um, I labeled this one though, because I don't want to be like looking for it in my voice note library. So I really wanted to share this with you guys because I don't know who is listening who will receive those words in a way that perhaps it was like necessary for you or timely for you or maybe maybe you'll rewind this podcast and re-listen to it maybe you'll slow it down so that you can write the words it was really impactful for me so I had to share it And I hope you guys appreciate it, Um, even if it's not as much as I do. But I feel strongly that if I was so moved by it the way that I was, then chances are other people will be too. So that's it. It's on page 41. The page actually isn't labeled. Most pages in the book are labeled, but like the pages that are listed, journaling and meditation, those aren't labeled, but... Yeah, it is page 41 in the book titled I Am Making Space. It's listed as a meditation and I hope you guys enjoy it. So moving forward, moving on, and kind of within the realm of affirmation slash meditation, I have been... I kind of have like a pseudo morning routine, not really, but I definitely have always been trying to create one, you know, not necessarily doing specific things in order, but having anchors that kind of keep me going in the morning. And those anchors can change. But one anchor that I have encountered recently that I would like to keep going is this um, peaceful morning mix that Spotify just put on my you know new music page or what have you so I was like oh peaceful morning mix this is interesting this was maybe like last week maybe a week or two ago so I started it and it was just that first peaceful morning mix playlist was so so good it felt so good I actually screenshot the playlist so that I could recreate it the first one that I listened to but it changes every day so two days ago there was this affirmation track that came on it is by a woman named it is by Tony Jones and the name of the The name of the body of work is Affirmations for the Grown-Ass Woman by Tony Jones. And the name of the track is Worth Ethic. So it's like a play on the phrase work ethic, but it's worth, like self-worth, worth ethic. So I had never heard of this woman before. And, you know, because of the nature of the type of music on this playlist, she came up on the playlist a couple of days ago, and I remember I was writing patient notes or something. I was doing some type of work, and I I just stopped because the what she was saying on this track was just so. Oh my god! It I don't even know how to explain it, but I just it felt so positive. It it like it was. I don't even know how to explain how I felt like. I just felt so good listening to it and felt so optimistic. I felt so positive, which I guess the playlist is doing its job. Um if like it just lifted my mood, uplifting. I think that's maybe the word I'm looking for. It was such an uplifting like mood improving It just felt really good to hear. She just talked about how day-to-day, the day-to-day grind can be really hard, but our worth is not tied to our work. And so much of who we are is so much more than the day-to-day demands and the grind and the challenges and the setbacks and everything like that. I'm not doing this track justice. I will put a link to it in the podcast notes but yeah I just had to highlight it quickly because it spoke to me it spoke to me on such a deep level and I think it's probably because of where I am in life right now and I shared it with my good friend um and she loved it too like she and she told me that morning that she was having a bit of a hard time and and this affirmation track really helped kind of turn her mood around. So, and I also shared it with one other person. So, I'm sharing it with you guys. And if you are interested in listening to it, click the link and see what it does for you. If it doesn't do anything, that's perfectly fine. But if, you know, it resonates with you the way it did with me or in another way then you know consider this a small gift from me to you so yeah I wanted to share that as well and gonna segue from Spotify to Netflix and talk about quickly the Light We Carry special that Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey did for their tour stop in LA so I love all things Michelle Obama I do I've admired her like so many people like so many women like so many black women like she is everything and more for me the way she is for other people and I read Becoming I loved Becoming I read it a few years ago So with The Light We Carry coming out, I was like, okay, we got to read this too. So instead of buying the book, though, I decided to give it a try via audiobook. And, you know, it came highly recommended, but I had trouble finishing it, to be, you know, completely frank. I'm not saying it's a bad book. It's nowhere near that. <laughs> um, very well rated. I've heard nothing but good things. But and maybe this is maybe I need to give it another chance and kind of push through. But I was getting a little bit bored earlier on in the book. I'll be honest. So I did not finish that audio book. I did not finish the audio book for The Light We Carry. But i'm always gonna watch michelle obama if she has a special coming out i watched her becoming special on netflix as well when the first book was released i loved it so i'm like i'm gonna obviously watch it so she looks amazing oprah looks amazing And, you know, they were just talking about the book and parts of the book. They talked about Barack and, you know, she talked about how she felt through the pandemic. Um, She talked about how knitting was definitely an anchor for her and kind of like silencing her mind and being able to focus on one thing and not like and not make herself crazy with thinking about the state of the world. And, you know, what we're going to do and everything like that. But I, in listening to her and listening to her conversation with Oprah, I was like, you know, she's clearly in a place in her life that is amazing. But I feel like I don't really relate to everything that she's saying. Two things, particularly. When she was talking about her relationship with Barack and how it can be really challenging to build a life together with another person. This is very true. But she was talking about also too how in 30 years of marriage, 10 of them were probably unenjoyable or just call them bad. And I was thinking about, and she, I think she put out, the question rhetorically to the audience like if you were guaranteed a marriage that was 30 years and 20 years were good and 10 years were bad like wouldn't that sound like a good deal and I was really thinking about this and I was like I don't know if I would accept that deal (laughs) she mentioned that the lower points of the marriage coincided with The children being born um, and kind of that adjustment and their dynamics as husband and wife in conjunction with being mother and father, you know, careers and like taking steps back in careers versus maybe not doing that as much, which is probably more Barack's President Obama situation. Yeah. So she I think she kind of posed that question to the audience and I was thinking about it and I was like, if I was married for 30 years or if I was getting married or (laughs) sorry, if the prospect of marriage was presented to me, but I was told that 10 of those 30 years, I would not be happy. I don't think I would accept that deal. I don't think so. Um, And I guess I'm just coming from a place of life is too short. And the older you get, I feel like the realer that statement is. It is so cliche, but it is so true at the same time. And I think my perspective is different also, too, because my parents are divorced. So and I believe Michelle Obama's parents were together from marriage until her father died because her mom is still alive. So her view on what marriage is, is probably different to my view. I'm not necessarily the one to believe that if a relationship or a marriage is dragging on and there is no love or friendship left or and I'm not saying that happened that's the case with her and Barack but I'm just thinking like if I knew I was presented with this prospect but 10 of those third, like 30% of that time I would not be happy when you don't even know how much time you have left in your life like I don't think I would take that so I thought about that I was like, this is just one point in which I would probably disagree with Michelle. But I think that is because of my journey versus her journey, my experience and relationship to relationships in how they have been presented to me in my life, particularly when it comes to my mom and dad. So in my mind, you know, as much as divorce is like the last of the last of the last of the last resort, I don't completely count it out if it has become a situation that's no longer happy and no longer fruitful and no longer what it used to be. But those are just my personal thoughts. So that's one. I was like, oh, okay, We're, we definitely think differently in this way. And then secondly, was her saying that she wouldn't really, she wouldn't take advice from any moms who haven't completely done the work of raising their children. Like if she was a new mom, she would seek advice from moms who their kids are out of the house and they're full adults with their own lives, maybe their own kids, what have you. And I was thinking about that and I was like, I don't necessarily think I would completely I don't think I agreed with that either. And that might be partially because I'm actually in like I'm in a mom group, even though clear I'm not a mother, like biologically at least. But I'm in a mom group because of someone who I follow on Instagram. I followed her for years and she has made space for not for moms and people who aren't biological mothers and it's just a really warm inviting helpful online community that is primarily geared towards moms but accommodates and welcomes everyone else essentially so i am usually i am often reading posts of moms and non-moms in the community people asking for advice and a lot of moms are in the same stage of motherhood, you know, different stages, maybe just leaving a stage of motherhood that other mothers are entering into. And I feel like just having that support in that way of like, oh my God, my kid is doing this. Has anyone... Experience this, and then having a one mother chime in, "Oh my God, yes, you're not alone." And then another mother chime in, "Yes, like you're, <laughs> it's not just you." Like I feel like that is priceless to have. Um, so, and I I don't necessarily think this is something that um, Michelle Obama would disagree with, but just off the top of my head, her you know hearing her opinion of, I wouldn't take, I don't think I would take advice from someone about raising children if they're not completely done raising kids or or what happened I was like I don't know I don't know that I agree with that and I think that's because of you know the community that I am in and what I see on a regular basis I think it's I think it's invaluable I think it's so needed it's needed much more than it is available to have supports of mothers and parents who are kind of in the trenches with you you know and then you guys can share ideas share what has worked for you share what hasn't worked for you you know in a completely non-judgmental way because everything is not going to work for everyone And kind of go through these journeys together and seeing your kids grow and witness your own growth. I feel like you can't put a price on that. So those are just two things that kind of came up on my mind that were still on my mind. um, Even after finishing the special, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved Michelle's outfit and I'm going to love her like she can do no wrong to me. Um, And I just really appreciate The impact that she has had on women like me, you know, black women like me, women like me, people in general. So, yeah, she is amazing. She's amazing. So with that, I'm going to move on to my new All About Love segment until we finish the book. I'm going to have an All About Love segment in each episode for the rest of the book, which is 13 chapters. So there'll be 13 segments of the book from today. We talked, about, we talked about the introduction two episodes ago and a little bit of chapter one, but I wanted to devote this segment specifically to chapter one. And I'm not even going to talk about everything in chapter one, but I wanted to talk about The concept that was discussed in this chapter that honestly blew my mind because I think the first one of the first steps to like enlightenment, for lack of a better word, is like asking questions, like questioning your reality in a way questioning why things are the way they are questioning why we believe what we believe questioning why we agree for things to be true type of thing so I'm gonna just go ahead and read a quote that I briefly touched on in the first episode that was devoted to the book and I believe I kind of ended it at this point and said I would expound further on this episode so it's on, cha- it's on page six, and it is the first full paragraph. When we understand love as the will to nurture our own and another spiritual growth, it becomes clear that we cannot claim to love if we are hurtful and abusive. Love and abuse cannot coexist. Abuse and neglect are, by definition, the opposites of nurturance and care. Often we hear of a man who beats his children and wife and then goes to the corner bar and passionately proclaims how much he loves them. If you talk to the wife on a good day, she may also insist he loves her despite the violence. An overwhelming majority of us come from dysfunctional families in which we were taught we were not okay, where we were shamed, verbally and or physically abused and emotionally neglected, even as We're also taught to believe that we are loved. For most folks, it is just too threatening to embrace a definition of love that would no longer enable us to see love as present in our families. (laughs) This was like, for me reading this, I was like, wow. If there's anything to really like break a foundation, because The word family is almost synonymous with love, but this, this paragraph that Bell writes, that Bell Hooks writes, opens the door to consider maybe, maybe it wasn't love. Maybe there wasn't love in the family, or maybe there was love, but not as much. Or not to the degree that you would like to remember it or what have you. I'm going to continue. Too many of us cling to a notion of love that either makes abuse acceptable or at least makes it seem that whatever happened was not that bad. So I'm just kind of looking through what I wrote in the margins. And I wrote after that paragraph, you can care about folks and not love them. You know, you can be in a family where everyone cares about everyone and they care that you're safe and they care or safe is relative, I guess. They care that you are alive, I guess we can say, (laughs) you know, kind of making it as basic as possible. They care that you're alive um, and your basic needs are met care can be shown in that way but love is a totally different story and if we're going to really think through what bell hooks is putting forth here then if we are courageous enough if we're brave enough to really think about our childhood it may mean that there was no love there it may mean reckoning with a truth that the love quote-unquote that was shown by parents or grandparents or siblings or cousins or aunts or uncles isn't love and then and then what you know If it's not love, then what was it? You know, if love was not the foundation, then what was the foundation? Was there a foundation? And I feel like this work is so hard to do because then it might feel like, for some folks, it might feel like their whole life was a lie or at the very least their childhood was a lie. Because they were told that they were loved, you know, um, even maybe on a regular basis, but maybe the actions did not match your understanding of love as an adult, especially if you're digesting what Bell Hooks is saying in this book. And now you have to process the possibility that you were not loved as a child or you were not loved in the way that you needed to be loved as a child. So where does that leave you? Like, how do you move forward? I'm grappling this with myself, you know? I'm like really thinking through as much as I can with as much as I remember what is true versus not and how was love portrayed or performed in my life in my childhood for as much as I can remember and does the love that I was made to believe is love match what I believe is love as an adult now especially since I am interrogating that concept of love against what bell hooks is saying in this chapter in chapter one so so much so much oh my god and this is why I say like there's no way I could cover this book in like three episodes like it needs its own segment so like I said I wrote you can care about folks and not love them Because she does have a line that she writes on the next page saying that this is the last paragraph on page seven. She writes, pressed in therapy to describe my household of origin in terms of whether it was loving or not. I painfully admitted that I did not feel loved in our household, but that I did feel cared for. So she takes it further in differentiating love from care which I think is easier to understand. You can care from somebody, but not love them. And she, as an adult, thinking back within the context of therapy and really breaking down who she is as a person, is trying to understand who she is based off of her history and is realizing that this is what was true. And that this being true for her is contradictory to what she was told, you know, as a child. So I think this will be the final piece of what I dive into for this chapter. So she goes on to say, this experience of genuine love parentheses a combination of care, commitment, trust, knowledge, responsibility, and respect nurtured my wounded spirit and enabled me to survive acts of lovelessness. I am grateful to have been raised in a family that was caring, and strongly believe that my parents been loved, and strongly believe that had my parents been loved well by their parents, they would have given that love to their children. They gave what they had been given, care. Remember, care is a dimension of love, but simply giving care does not mean we are loving. So this speaks to how you can't give what you don't have, or you can't give what you weren't given, or you can't be what you don't see type of thing. That's true to an extent. I feel like it can vary, but kind of focusing on you can't give what you don't have her parents were cared for in her current understanding of love and care her parents were cared for but they weren't loved so they knew how to care for her but they didn't know how to love her and obviously this made an impact I mean she's processing this in therapy But kind of realizing this, it comes off to me that it's like a breakthrough because this, her writing this, as with many people, I would think, you know, having this realization allows you to be more empathetic to the parents or the people that raised you because they were probably trying to do their best. Their best was not enough. Someone can do their best for someone and their best cannot be enough. Like two of those parts can be true at the same time. So in this case for bell hooks, as I'm sure is the case for many other people, their parents slash guardians probably did the best they could, but their best was not what that person needed or their best was not enough for that person's growth and development and cultivation of sense of self and you know, kind of having that foundation and those solid roots. So in that case, the anger that might be there towards those people might turn into sympathy or empathy or just feeling a bit more forgiving because they really could not do more than what they were doing. They could not give more than what they were giving. And it helps, I think, in the therapeutic process to realize this for yourself because it helps you to move past that point and continue to make progress and, you know, allow yourself to process how that feels. But at the same time, you can then take ownership of that. Like, okay, I did not feel loved as a child. I was cared for, but I wasn't loved. And then you could Also, from there, go to the place where you decide, okay, I wasn't loved as a child, but I am working on defining love for me now. So when I get to the point where I feel like I have a pretty solid concept or like a pretty solid idea of what that is to me, that can now be my roadmap moving forward with how I interact with people in my life. Like this definition she gives of love, which is pretty much, you know, like a map, a combination of care, commitment, trust, knowledge, responsibility, and respect. Those are like the tenets of love as she defines it. And if someone were to adopt that same definition they will now use that to guide them moving forward you know they've done the work up to this point to figure out why they were the way they were and now they know better so they can do better so I I really appreciated this part of this chapter and I also wrote in the margins that a lack of love does not mean you're unlovable. And I wrote that because she continued on to say, most of us find it difficult to accept a definition of love that says we are never loved in a context where there is abuse. Most psychologically and or physically abused children have been taught by parenting adults that love can coexist with abuse and in extreme cases that abuse is an expression of love. This faulty thinking often shapes our adult perceptions of love so that just as we would cling to the notion that those who hurt us as children loved us, we try to rationalize being hurt by other adults by insisting that they love us. In my case, many of the negative shaming practices I was subjected to in childhood continued in my romantic adult relationships. Initially, I did not want to accept a definition of love that would also compel me to face the possibility that I had not known love in the relationships that were most primary to me. Years of therapy and critical reflection enabled me to accept that there is no stigma attached to acknowledging a lack of love in one's primary relationships. And I think this is where I ultimately felt Move to write a lack of love doesn't mean you're unlovable. Because she's essentially reconciling with the reality for herself that she does not really know love in action. And the way she has been presented love has been distorted and dysfunctional. But that, you know, is true for a host of reasons. Like I said before, they did what they could they did not receive love they received care so they gave care they did not give love and they conflated love and abuse and you know stayed steadfast in the idea that she could be loved while also being hurt at the same time and in realizing that this is not the case, does that mean that she's unlovable? No, it doesn't mean that, as far as I'm concerned, as far as the conclusion that I draw. And I think it's very powerful for her to say That there is no stigma attached to acknowledging a lack of love in one's primary relationships. Because I feel like saying that would be stigmatizing and would be alienating. And people would look at you weird. Like, what do you mean your parents didn't love you? Or, you know, your guardians didn't love you or what have you. So... I think I'm gonna stop here (laughs) I am coming on about an hour we'll see how much we'll see how long the episode is after I edit but I feel like I have already discussed so much in just a few pages and I really can't do this book justice but I feel like I just need to talk about it a little bit so that's why we're doing it in you know digestible chunks But if it is not clear already, please read All About Love by Bell Hooks. I think at the very least, it'll challenge your perception and perspective on love. Maybe it'll strengthen what you already know love to be. Maybe it'll completely dismantle your definition of love so that you can build a new one. But in any case, open yourself up to receive whatever you get from the book if you read it Um, and I highly recommend it so journal prompt for this episode stems from all about love and it might be too deep to (laughs) even think about because this can truly be identity shifting you know it can it can shake and rattle your foundation but I'm going to dare to share this as a journal prompt, and I dare you to think about it. You don't have to think about it today. You don't have to think about it tomorrow. You don't even have to think about it next month. But I want to challenge you to think about your childhood and ask yourself with the little bit that you have heard on this podcast. And with what you know to be true about love. Were you loved as a child? Was there love in your life as a child? And, you know, see what comes up. Um, Maybe it'll be a good journal entry. Maybe it'll be a good voice note. It's not something that you would probably process in one day or one sitting. Or if you're listening and you are regularly in therapy maybe broach this topic with your counselor broach it with your therapist and see what conversations come up you never know you might have one or two breakthroughs like I have had reading this book as well so with that I want to thank you guys for listening as always I want to thank you guys for accommodating the unexpected mini break I took with the last episode I recorded a quick eight-ish minute introduction and then pretty much did a replay of an episode that came out on April 15th of last year, which is one of my most popular episodes to date on Dear Sugar by Cheryl Strayed. And it actually also has done pretty well. So I know there have been quite a few new listeners since it first came out. So I hope those who didn't listen to it the first time... But gave it a listen this time around. Really liked it. I hope you guys are able to share this podcast episode and this podcast with folks in your world. If it resonates with you, please review, please share, please rate if it has positively impacted you. Please reach out to me, email me if you have any questions that you would like my two cents on to share on the podcast or if you want to just provide feedback or comments email me at btbwpodcast at gmail.com or dm me on instagram i would love to hear from you guys as always so thank you again for listening and i'll talk to you soon